Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as coffee with friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about questions that are on all of our minds. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observer today is Madeline Hansen. Madeline is an operations manager in the Mayo Clinic Health System, Department of Family Medicine. Today, we're doing a quarterly spotlight. In this podcast, you'll learn about the career of an established healthcare leader, discover some leadership insights, and hear how the FACHE credential impacted this person's professional journey. Our spotlight guest today is Bill Santulli. Bill is president of the Midwest region of Advocate Health. He's had varied career experiences that led to this current role and also currently serves on the ACHE Board of Directors. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Janet. It's great to be here. So to get us started, Bill, can you tell us about your career path and how that culminated in your current role at Advocate Health? Yeah, I'd be pleased to, Janet. So uh, I... You know, as you mentioned, I currently serve as president of Advocate uh, Health Midwest, and I landed with Advocate over 21 years ago. Uh, my first two years, I had the privilege of leading one of our community hospitals uh, in Downers Grove, Illinois, Advocate Good Sam. And then uh, two years later, I was promoted uh, to chief operating officer and, you know, had a long run doing that. And then about four and a half years ago, Advocate uh, based in uh, Chicagoland, merged with Aurora in the eastern third of Wisconsin to form Advocate Aurora Health. And I was privileged to uh, uh, serve as chief operating officer uh, uh, for that organization. And then on December 2nd, we created the uh, new Advocate uh, by merging Advocate Aurora with uh, with uh, Atrium out of the southeast. And uh, as you might imagine, we're in the throes of uh uh, learning, uh, building new relationships, uh, launching our integration plans, et cetera. But if we go backwards a little bit, I've always been in uh, healthcare uh, leadership role since I uh, came out of grad school from the University of Minnesota in, in 1984. And the first half of my career, uh, we did move around quite a bit, uh, starting in the Pacific Northwest, then uh, going to Los Angeles, Des Moines, and Boston uh, before uh, landing back uh, in uh, Chicagoland, and uh, it's just been a it's just been a tremendous uh, a journey every step of the way. Thanks for that quick flyover, Bill. Um, so, what we'd like to do now is get into just a few questions um, about that leadership journey and get a bit more granular. And I do have to say, Bill, that as a podcast committee talked about you as a guest. Um, I heard a lot of compliments about your leadership style, including your integrity and ethical decision-making. So what I'd like to ask, and this is a pretty deep question to start with, um, but we're going to go for it. Uh, what do you consider to be the principles that guide you as a leader? It's a great question, Janet. Uh, and it's a hard one to answer, but I would, I would point to several things. And you already touched on part of it, but I, I would start with uh, core values. And you know, my my personal core values are 
you know, aligned with uh, advocates' core values, but, uh, you know, not in any particular order, but integrity, honesty, uh, trust, you know, compassion, collaboration, transparency. Uh, And, uh, you know, I can I can confidently express this that over the past, you know, now over 35 years since uh, since I've had the privilege of of helping to lead organizations, you know, I've never compromised those core values. In fact, uh, continue to build on them uh, and and strengthen them. Uh, it's a line uh, that you know none of us as healthcare leaders should uh, ever uh, cross, even if it means uh, making a call that could potentially suboptimize you know our respective organization. Uh, you never you never want to go there. And uh, I, you know, as I look back over the years, I I can confidently say that uh, I, I never uh, never did that. But beyond uh, the core values, you know, we are fundamentally in the relationship management business. Uh, you know, 55, 56% of our cost structures are in people, uh, in labor. And uh, so we are a very people intensive uh, business, all aiming at, you know, how to help people live well. Uh, so critically important uh, that when you serve in these roles, you've got to absolutely enjoy and love uh, to connect with others and to build relationships both inside our organizations, uh, but also uh, outside the organization. And uh, that's something that uh, I thoroughly uh, enjoy doing. And, you know, what do I try to focus on? It's some of the things I've referenced. Open, and candid dialogue, dealing with conflict, being transparent, being a transparent communicator, being an active listener, being a visible leader, uh, seeking to understand. Uh, I ask a lot of questions. Uh, you could talk to any of the folks I work with. I am pretty inquisitive. And that's one of the things I've thoroughly enjoyed about this journey because there's so much to learn from a business perspective, from a clinical perspective, from, you know, a macroeconomic environment and the list goes on and on. So there's just, it's just been a, a, a journey of, of lifelong uh, learning. But another, uh, I guess, principle of mine that uh, I have always held uh, in high importance throughout you know my career is being a visible leader now that visibility was frankly a lot easier the first half of my career when i was uh, based in hospitals uh it's been a bit more challenging over the last 20 plus years as i've served in corporate roles uh, but i'm i do maintain a pretty good diet of getting out uh, into our hospitals clinics uh, and other operations it's critically important to me on on multiple levels, and I also, frankly, think it's good for the organization. Thank you, Bill, for that. And as you were talking, one of the things that struck me, and and I'm a big believer in leaders should have some mantras that play in their heads that are something that is almost like muscle reflex when they're faced with challenging situations. And in my leadership career, one of the things, one of the tapes I play in my head is leaders don't duck. And it, um, your comments about the core values and that you don't duck from them, um, even when it's challenging and it would be, um, almost perceived to be easier to duck 
Um, so that's what was running through my head as you were talking, because you clearly don't duck as a leader. So thank you for that. Well, to build on that, Janet, uh, it's critically important for all of us as leaders to uh, to effectively uh, deal with conflict. And that's sort of a routine part of of what we you know, get the opportunity to do. And, you know, sometimes, oftentimes when you're dealing with, you know, a, a real challenging situation, especially if it involves people, um, you kind of got to get yourself uh, geared up for it. But when I've done that, and I've had the opportunity to do, do a lot of that, you always feel better afterwards, okay? And and oftentimes, if you if you delay a little bit, once you do it, you're like, gosh, why didn't I have that conversation, you know, last week? You're spot on. That's why I wanted to see your reaction to my little mantra to give me the courage. Um, Madeline, I think you had a follow-on question for Bill on that. Well, what I was, um, what came to mind as you were speaking about those core values and um, challenging situations was that, um, you know, you you must have been uh, involved in situations that have really tested those core values, and you've had to navigate that, and you know, be sure that you're um, not ducking, like you said, Janet. So, what do you feel was one of the greatest ethical challenges that you faced in your leadership journey? Yeah, you know, that too is a great question, Madeline, and I I can't really point to a singular event. Uh, where, you know, a, a thorny uh, ethical event or issue uh, uh, surfaced. But I can, as I reflect, I can think about, you know, lots of ethical uh, dilemmas, if you will, that from an organizational perspective, we really had to carefully uh, work through. And, you know, they include everything from, you know, our charity care policy and revisiting it, making sure that uh, we're, you know, we're we're opening up access for uh, folks without uh, economic means. Um, on multiple, you know, multiple points along the way, we've had to revisit our uh, supplier and, uh, and and business diversity uh, strategy. Sometimes creating opportunities for uh, diverse and startup type companies. Uh, minority and women-owned firms that actually cost the organization more than had we gone with an alternative. But because we uh, uh, are so committed uh, to uh, supporting the community and uh, enabling um, uh, diverse leaders, diverse business leaders to to grow, uh, we have made a number of those uh, moves. Uh, It's been a while, but, you know, we uh, carefully debated, you know, the preg- our pregnancy termination uh, policy, uh, balancing, you know, the 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 states that we operate in, along with, and this is more of an Illinois issue for us, but our our historic uh, church relationships uh, and sponsors. Um, another area that we had to carefully consider are our investment guidelines. Right, nonprofits, uh, successful nonprofits are fortunate to have built up, you know, significant cash reserves on the balance sheet. Well, how those dollars get invested and uh, there too, we've, we've got, you know, clear policy that, you know, only a, we won't invest in companies uh, if they exceed a certain threshold 
on uh, you know the so-called um, uh, sin activities like you know tobacco, uh, pornography, uh, alcohol, uh, and the like. Um, you know, and the other area I'd point to is the regulatory environment has gotten more intense over the years, uh, and you know, critically important to stay close to our compliance leadership and make sure that we're operating you know, within those uh, guardrails uh, and, you know, being very thorough in in uh, dealing with and uh, uh, conflicts of interest, uh, you know, and, and making sure that those are carefully communicated. And I personally uh, have a few, you know, interests outside the organization that uh, I've always had to uh, be very upfront about, you know, what those potential conflicts are along with family members uh, that may be interacting with our organization because it's fairly large and we're a large industry. So all that has to get properly dealt with and disclosed. But again, uh, Madeline, I really can't point to a specific um, specific ethical event that you know really kind of pushed me, if you will. Well, thank you for that. And I'm, and I'm sure through all of that, your core values have remained a really strong compass for navigating each of those scenarios. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. So I'm going to um, switch gears a little bit back to the career flyover you did, Bill. And you mentioned um, how you uh, moved around quite a bit early in your career. And I bet in those moves, um, there were some risks that you perhaps took. So in your career journey, what do you consider the most important risk you took and why? You know, I would I would point to a couple things. So first, uh, the first half of my career moving around, every time we did that, that in and of itself was a was a significant risk, both professionally as well as as personally. And you know, I always left an organization where I, I had deep relationships. Um, we were. Yeah, in, in every case, we were being, you know, um, successful, and you know, I, I don't want to be immodest, but I had a, I had a pretty good reputation. And then you, you know, move, and in, in my case, they were always like distant moves uh, into you know a, a new environment, new organization, a new community, and you're you're somewhat starting from scratch on that level, not from the the business side of things, uh, but those were. Those were significant risks. I, I could never have done it without a tremendously supportive uh, wife. Uh, and uh, you know, every time we made those moves, uh, she really handled all the 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 uh, stuff on the home front, uh, so that I could, uh, particularly in the first, you know, say year of each move, you know, completely uh, uh, spend whatever time I needed uh, in getting up to speed in the new organization. I, I do want to share an experience uh, that, you know, what you could call it, uh, you know, taking a risk, uh, but it went the wrong way. Okay. It, 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 it didn't work. And it was a significant learning uh, for, for me and for the organization. And this goes back uh, over a decade ago. It precedes uh, Advocate Aurora. And, we at the time, uh, Advocate had a pretty good footprint 
a growing footprint in Chicagoland, but we also uh, wanted to expand our presence in central and southern Illinois. We were getting close to uh, closing a deal to acquire uh, two hospitals uh, in central Illinois, and we were in active discussions with uh, a, a major medical center in Peoria. And because we had had some recent successes at um, merging in or acquiring uh, community hospitals, uh, we thought we had to like stick to a very proscriptive uh, model. And frankly, uh, we were not particularly flexible uh, in working with uh, the Peoria board uh, and, and leadership. And I was the chief negotiator uh, on that deal. And, you know, had we been more flexible and had we more carefully listened to uh, their needs and, and, and desires, I think we could have gotten that deal done. And that would have changed sort of our trajectory uh, in, uh, in central uh, Illinois. The short of it is that uh, we got into that market uh, in Bloomington Normal and Eureka and then exited about a decade later. Uh, had we gotten into Peoria, I think that story would have been uh, would have been very different. So uh, you know, in in some ways, it was the opposite of taking a risk and being too conservative and being too wed to, you know, our model and our way of doing things where uh, flexibility would have uh, uh, kind of advantaged us, if you will. Bill, I so, so appreciate that you gave an example of something where uh, you didn't have the superhero cape on maybe after taking a risk or, or choosing a path because in past quarterly spotlights, some of the best listener learnings that we've gotten have been from leaders sharing where things did not go forward, but they went backwards or they went sideways and that it's important to ask reflective questions when you're in it. You know, the lesson is learned in terms of uh, the dynamics that might be playing out. So thank you for, for sharing that. No, you're welcome. On behalf of Coffee with the College, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our premier sponsors, Epstein UN Architects, HGA, Hush Blackwell, and thank you as well to our preferred sponsors, C.G. Schmidt, Findorf, Paul Render, Nutanix, Plunkett Research Architects, and Quarles and Brady. So we're gonna switch gears again, Bill. Um, because we have had uh, feedback from the ACHE Wisconsin community that there is a lot of interest in our early and mid-careers about the FACHE credential and seeking just guidance and advice regarding the whole decision and the whole process and the whole benefit of, of pursuing that credential. So thank you for agreeing to make this podcast part of our education on that front as well. So to get us started on, on that topic, I wanted to ask, um, you've been a fellow um, since 1995. And so thinking back, uh, what led you to become a fellow and what benefits do you feel earning that credential brought you over the course of your career? Yeah, Janet, I want to first take you back all the way back to grad school. So uh, 
when I was in in grad school at uh, the University of Minnesota, myself and all of my class classmates joined as student members. Our program really pushed that pretty hard. And then my first uh, job post fellowship, I landed in a community hospital in Puyallup, Washington, and the and the CEO uh, Dave Hamry uh, required us to be part of of the college to be part of ACHE, and he and you know the the chief operating officer at the time were all uh, fellows. So uh, through my you know through those early years when I did administrative residencies, fellows, first job, I had significant exposure uh, to uh, to fellows and to leaders that really encouraged active participation uh, in in the college. And, you know, I was a pretty, um, I was pretty ambitious, uh, like so many of our colleagues across the country, uh, that, you know, I wanted to grow, I wanted to learn, I wanted to take on more responsibilities. Uh, I also recognized that the FACHE credential and what it uh, stands for back then, and again, today, uh, would uh, be a significant part of my uh, leadership journey, because of what it it means to the healthcare community, it it definitely uh, indicates that you know you you're committed uh, to healthcare leadership uh, and to leading organizations that are focused on helping people live healthier lives. Uh, so, uh, and and I think earning the FACHE uh, gives you a great sense of uh, accomplishment. Bill, I'm a mid careerist and. Uh, the the fellow is something that I have on you know my list of of to dos, and I'm starting to explore what what that would look like for me and um, what steps that I need to take to prepare myself for that exam. Um, so be, being at on the other side of it who hasn't hasn't started that journey quite yet, what advice would you give someone like me um, preparing for the fellow exam? So Madeline, the ACHE website is a tremendous uh, resource. So that's where I would uh, point. Go to the website, click on uh, the Board of Governor uh, exam, and I, I want to point out uh, several things to our early and mid-careers. Number one, uh, the Board of Governor exam content uh, is organized into 10 domains to help folks uh, study and prepare. Number two is the ACHE Healthcare Executive uh, competency assessment tool, uh, which enables leaders to evaluate skill level, knowledge, uh, and competency. In addition, uh, there are a number of resources, and I, I'm going to reference them because uh, they're quite good. The Virtual Board of Governor uh, Exam Review Course, the Board of Governor Study Set, and the Board of Governor Exam Flashcards. These are all tremendous aids uh, and tools to help our colleagues to uh, to prepare and get ready. We would recommend uh, to take about a six-month period to do so, so that you can pace yourself. And uh, and then a couple days before the exam, uh, put the uh, study guides away and get a couple good nights rest, and then you'll do great on the exam. Great. Thank you. Um, I have a, a curious question to follow up. When you were preparing for the exam, um, uh, um, back some time ago, did you 
focus? Um, or did you work solely on your own preparation or did you work um, with partners or in a group? I've heard that there are different, um, you know, opportunities out there, individuals, professionals coming together with study groups. Um, I'm just curious your own experience and um, how that went for you. That's a great question. I, the bulk of my prep uh, was on my own, uh, although there were two administrative colleagues that were a couple years ahead of me, a few years ahead of me uh, in my organization. And I did compare uh, quite a bit of notes with them because they had taken the exam a couple, three years before, uh, before I did. Yeah, good advice. And we do have um, quite a few now in the state of Wisconsin that are um, that have achieved fellows. So seeking out those individuals and learning from each other. I'll just second Bill's comment about um, when you hit submit and you get the answers, um, or you, at least when I took it, you learned immediately whether you passed or not. It is an amazing feeling of accomplishment. Bill, is that still the case? Do you still learn right away? Um, do you know from being on the board of directors? Because maybe did you have to wait to get your results? Because I, I had took, to wait. I had to wait. I think it's it's much faster yeah. now. Remember yeah. that's I took the exam almost thirty years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when I took it, you found out right away, and it is a huge sense of accomplishment and well deserved for those of you that are still on that journey. Mm-hmm. Very much and so. How many hours does it take? To complete the exam? Oh, that's a good question, Madeline. I'm thinking you were given four hours or six hours. I don't know. I took it probably 10 years ago now. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what the current length is. Bill, do you know? I, I don't off the top of my head. Yeah. That sounds we'll about right, research though. research that for another podcast where we're going to ask some other people these questions and keep getting perspectives. So, Madeline, did you have a follow-up? Bill, going back to our discussion on FACHE and your the the steps that you took for your preparation, it sounds like you had um, a few individuals who were really instrumental in helping guide you um, to seek out that um, credential and also um, share their experiences. You had mentioned there were um, a few administrators who were several years older than you that you were able to collaborate with. Tell me more overall how mentors have shaped your development as a leader. You know, Madeline, that too is a great question. Uh, I was very fortunate that uh, I had uh, tremendous mentors right out of the gate, uh, beginning with my, you know, summer internship uh, between the uh, the two years in in grad school. Uh, I was, you know, coached and mentored. Uh, that summer, and then I stayed on for the year by the chief operating officer. When I did my fellowship, I had one of the executives, you know, in the health system that I landed with in Los Angeles, uh, really invest pretty heavily in me. Uh, and and as I think about, you know, those two mentor up in uh, in in the Pacific Northwest, and then uh, Des Moines, they all helped to kind of influence. And shape me in different uh, in different ways. Uh, so, uh, having you know, if, having a variety of mentors, I think, is a critical element to one's leadership uh, journey. 
those mentors don't necessarily need to be your one up or the person that you report to. Uh, and, you know, it could even be someone outside the organization. But I think that's just a, 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 a foundational aspect of leadership development uh, that you you got to be intentional about. Uh, I was very lucky uh, early on that it was uh, the folks I reported to, uh, but that it doesn't always play out that way. Now, I feel strongly that that the journey that we're on to grow, develop, and to learn never ends. It, it, it's there's opportunity to learn, frankly, every day, every week, every month. But at the same time, as you know, I've advanced in this journey. Uh, I've been very committed to giving back. Now, I have the privilege of leading a lot of folks. So, you know, I, I part of my role is to help coach and mentor uh, other leaders and have been doing that for a long time. But I've, I've also, for about 15 years, uh, I've been leading our, you know, administrative fellow program. Uh, and I think that's it's been that's been a very rewarding experience for me because uh, it you know you you've had the ability to shape uh, to help shape uh, and invest in folks who are very early careerists and hopefully you know help put them on a on a uh, journey and leadership trajectory that uh, uh, will be you know rewarding. You know, I I feel like one of the um, challenges on the the side of the mentee is how to get started. You know, how do you how do you seek out a mentor? How do you ask the question and um, start that relationship with someone that you feel you know would be able to give you the insight that you're looking for um, to reach those goals? So, what advice would you give someone early mid careerist, um, anyone really who maybe struggles with uh, taking that that next step or putting themselves out there to to get a mentor? So, Madeline. Uh, I would encourage our colleagues uh, across uh, Wisconsin, particularly our early and mid-careerists, to take the risk to reach out uh, to uh, leaders and ask them if they would be open to serving uh, as a as a mentor. Uh, I've had a number of folks do that. Most of the time, I would o- I will always say yes, but there are times where the demands on you know our time and our calendar are. Uh, pressured and, and maybe have already uh, committed to uh, to doing that for others. And you don't want to overcommit. If you agree to serve as a mentor, you want to make sure that you have the time uh, to properly uh, invest. But most leaders will then say, hey, wait a second, at this moment or the next six months, I can't handle it. But let me uh, let's think about others that can. And I would be stunned if any of our colleagues uh, would, wouldn't respond in, in a very positive way to that. So I would just encourage our, our uh, early and mid-careerists to, to reach out. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm sure that it will be, you know, oftentimes it's a really um, a great experience. 
I've had that exact experience once. I um, put myself out there and I had asked um, the CEO of the company that I was working for prior to the one I'm at now uh, for a formal mentorship. And um, with all of the obligations that she had on her plate at that time, she did have to turn me down. She did say no. Um, But you know, she was incredible and she gave me great advice at that time. And this was, this was probably 10 years ago for me. And so I, it was, it felt like such a risk to even put myself out there and was very uncomfortable, but she pointed out, even though, you know, I don't have the capacity now to do a formal mentorship. She's like, you having put yourself out there and asking the question, she's like, never stop doing that because that opportunity will become available. Someone will have the capacity and say yes. And, you know, taking those risks is exactly what's going to continue to um, propel your growth in leadership. So, um, you know, your response um, definitely aligned with what I was thinking. Uh, Bill, one other just angle we wanted to go over with you is you not only have the FACHE credential, but you also serve on the ACHE National Board. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what having that worldview and fostering those relationships means to you? It's it's an absolute privilege, and it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous opportunity. As you know, serving on the ACHE Board of Governors, uh, you know, where we uh, focus a lot of our time and energy is uh, developing and reevaluating the uh, ACHE strategy. In so doing, uh, you know, it's important that we have perspective on uh, the industry, uh, where the industry's heading, what are you know the the key challenges uh, and, uh, and 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 pain points because that helps us to that then informs is the strategy uh, for ACHE uh, you know and, and and supporting leaders uh, aligned and it's been uh, it's really been a tremendous experience I've been on uh, the board now for almost uh, three years and. Uh, I, I love I love that work, making sure that the strategies aligned and and that we're uh, you know shaping and reshaping the organization to better meet uh, the needs of uh, of our leaders and our leaders' uh, growth opportunity. But even beyond that, it, it is it, like I said, it's a great privilege because the board's comprised of leaders from you know across the country. So it's been this tremendous opportunity. Uh, to you know, build uh, new relationships and to uh, to learn from uh, each other, and by and large, uh, the challenges that most of us face, you know, are uh, fairly similar across uh, the country. Uh, but it's it's fantastic to also you know learn more about hey, what's happening in Louisiana, what's happening in Florida, what's happening in the Northeast, uh, etc. I think I have the best question of the podcast um, because as we're as we're wrapping up our conversation today, um, you know you you have an extensive background in leadership, and um, we can't have all work and no play though, right? So, <laughs> so my question for you is: What do you do for fun outside of work? Yeah, no, you, I totally agree with what you just said. It can't be just all work 
uh, and no play. Uh, to be effective, you have to uh, you have to have balance, and at times that's a challenge, no question about it. But uh, I I'm blessed with a, a large family. My wife and I have been married for over 37 years. We have uh, five children and six grandchildren. All six of our grandchildren live uh, within a mile uh, radius of, of our home. So uh, we get together and see them often. Uh, I'm also fairly active. Uh, I, lo- I love to exercise. I love water sports, everything from, you know, hopping on my stand-up paddleboard, kayaking. I've got a, a sunfish. Um, I like to golf, although I'm not particularly good at it. I, uh, I, I do usually have a book that I'm, you know, I'm reading, um, in the, you know, in the spring through fall, I have a, I tend to my vegetable garden. So yeah, I've got a variety of interests outside of work. And uh, I, I do think it's absolutely critical, not only to, to have other interests, but to periodically have respites so that, you know, you can refresh and, and uh, and rejuvenate yourself. I think as as leaders and all the demands that we face day in day out, that's absolutely uh, important. Are your grandkids old enough now that you can start to teach them? Or are you taking them out on the boat on the sunfish? Uh, no, because they range from six to uh, three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, they've got a there's the older ones are in swim lessons, but until they're water safe, I, I really can't <laughs> really can't take them out. No, definitely. Bill, uh, on behalf of our Coffee with the College listeners, Madeline and I would really like to say thank you for being our quarterly spotlight guests. Um, The spotlights are some of our most popular podcasts. And um, with all the insights you shared today, it's easy to understand why. So thank you. Thank you for making the time. Thank you, Janet. It's a a pleasure to do it. And I want to thank you and uh, Madeline and Allie uh, uh, for helping to lead ACHE Wisconsin and doing it in such a uh, uh, a great way. Thanks. So with that, I'm going to close the podcast with just a few nuggets um, that I jotted down as Bill was sharing his insights. So first of all, from a leadership perspective, we all need to be prepared to live our values, manage relationships, and be visible and essentially be intentional leaders. And all three of those things take intention. They don't happen by accident. Um, Secondly, I jotted down, um, Bill gave some wonderful examples of leaders being called to deeply aligning their decisions with their values. And that, again, speaks to very intentional leadership. We also learned a bit from Bill that sometimes our most important or greatest risk can be not challenging ourselves to a broader or different view. And that's something to soul search about as a leader as well. And then finally, Bill, I think you did a great job of giving uh, advice and pointing people toward the ACHE website for FACHE information and resources as a starting point on their credentialing journey. So thank you listeners for listening in. We look forward to you joining us for our next podcast and we'll see you again soon. This podcast is copyrighted material of the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter 2023.